Hey, did you know that Stanford has beaten USC 10 of the last 16 times? Yeah, it's true. Might be shocking to some of you, but yes, since 2007, a Stanford football win over USC has been the rule rather than the exception. I just thought that would be a good place to start. Just throwing that out there. It is indeed USC week, and it is another episode of the TreeCast with Troy Clarity on the Believe Network and presented by Bet Online. Great to have you with us. Thursday, September 8th, 2022. Hello, how you doing? I'm Troy Clarity, the host of this little shindig we call the TreeCast. Great to have you with us. And yes, those USC Trojans are indeed coming to town, bringing that band with them. USC ranked number 14 in the latest polls and bringing a lot of hype, a new coach, and a lot of new players, plus one familiar player to Stanford folks. We'll dive into all of that on this episode of the show. We'll also have help diving into Stanford USC from a couple of special guests. Stanford wide receiver Bryson Tremaine, who was off to such a terrific start last season before his unfortunate injury against Oregon. Well, not only is he back with the squad, he was in a starting role for Stanford in their 41-10 season opening win over Colgate last week. So we'll detail Bryson Tremaine's road back to the depth chart, the top of the depth chart with him, and also talk about what is on Stanford's plate entering this matchup against USC. Bryson Tremaine, one special guest, another special guest this week, former Stanford offensive lineman Sam Schwartzstein. He never lost to USC. He was part of a run in which Stanford beat USC four straight times between 2009 and 2012. I want to focus on one of those wins in particular with Sam because, I don't know, this, this 2022 meeting is shaping up a whole lot like one of those previous meetings. Plus, I'd love to get Sam's thoughts on what he's seen so far in the uh, trenches and overall thoughts on Stanford football as well. So Bryson Tremaine, Sam Schwartzstein coming up later on in the show. I'm Troy Clarity. Follow me at Troy Clarity. Last name is spelled C-L-A-R-D-Y. Always appreciate that. You can send me your thoughts on anything you hear during the show via Twitter, hashtag TreeCast. Hashtag TreeCast, the best way to ensure that I see what you've got going. Subscribe to the show rate and review the show and spread the word about the show and you can listen to the TreeCast obviously via your favorite listening app we've got you covered no matter which way you want to go well here it is Stanford versus USC and a, a big stage for this one man we got the Saturday Night Football crew coming into town we got Kirk Herbstreet in the building we got my man Reese Davis on the play-by-play call. This is the ABC primetime game, even though I think they're largely going to be focused on the road team. But, hey, Stanford's on this stage, too. Hey, Tanner McKee, how are you feeling about playing on this big stage? We're excited. Uh, this whole offseason, we've been practicing with a chip on our shoulder, ready to prove that uh, we weren't what we showed last year and that we're ready to um, – kind of show off all the hard work that we've put in the offseason. So we're just very ready and very excited for another opportunity to compete, no matter who it's against or what TV channel it's on. We're, we're ready to play some football. That is the Stanford quarterback, Tanner McKee. He's pumped. I'm usually pumped anyway, especially during USC week. And we'll give you three things you need to know about this upcoming matchup between the Cardinal and the Trojans. We'll get to that in a brief moment. But first, 
This reminder, Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first-to-market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in-game betting, props, and futures. So head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use the promo code BELIEVE50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. Three things you need to know about Stanford USC. Let's begin with number one. And while Stanford has beaten USC 10 of the last 16 times, as we've mentioned, past performance does not guarantee future results. That includes last year's outcome between the Cardinal and the Trojans, in which Stanford went down to USC as underdogs and just beat the brakes off of USC 42 to 21 by the time the smoke cleared in Tanner McKee's first ever collegiate start. A lot of folks were walking around that place bummed out at the Coliseum. I'll never forget it. I, I, quite, I quite enjoyed myself that night. Still, that was last year. Stanford head football coach David Shaw was asked how much of last year's result he could take into preparation for this year's meeting. There's not much to take from last year. Um, usually when there's a coaching change, you look at last year's film for personnel, and the personnel has been almost all overhauled. So two different schemes on offense and defense, actually three in, in special teams. And then, um, you know, the personnel, you know, different quarterback, different receivers, different running backs, you know, secondary is different. Um, the linebacking core is different. A couple different guys on the defensive line. So last year's film uh, is not going to help us. That's David Shaw. Now, even though last year's win doesn't guarantee success this year, especially since the Cardinals are going to be facing practically an entirely different USC squad in all phases of the game, there are still some tangible things that Stanford can take away from how things went down at the Coliseum last year. Tanner McKee explains. Definitely a new year. Can't dwell on the past. Um, I, I definitely think that we can come in with confidence. Um, more of the work that we put on the offseason rather than that the fact that we beat them last year. Um, so I, I feel like our team's going to come in really confident, very excited. I mean, it's USC week, so there's not much more to get excited about, um, but our guys are definitely ready to, to play the game. That's Tanner McKee. And uh, back to the entire near-complete near uh, roster overhaul for USC as we move on to number two. <laughs> USC has 33 transfers on its roster this year. 33! Sign of the times in college sports these days? Well, it depends on where you are. But but one of those 33 transfers for USC, of course, is former Cardinal running back Austin Jones. Austin led Stanford in rushing in 2020 and was second in that category last season for the Cardinal. What kind of welcome will Austin's old teammates give him on his old stomping grounds? Cardinal safety, Jonathan McGill. He knows that, you know, we're going to bring it as hard as we can. We all know that Austin is going to do what Austin wants to or He's going to, you know, bring it as much as he can, competitive, fiery. Um, so, you know, we can't wait for the challenge. Um, you know, we're brothers outside of the white lines, you know what I'm saying? But when it comes down to it on Saturday, when uh, the, the whistle blows, um, he's definitely going to feel us. Um, and uh, he knows that and uh, can't wait. For this upcoming matchup, um, and definitely just being able to, you know, just talk to him after the game, but, you know, during the game, it's, it's war. Yeah, nothing personal, just business. 
Meanwhile, Stanford has only one transfer on its roster, and interestingly enough, that one transfer played for USC head coach Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma when Lincoln was running the show in Norman. Grad transfer nickelback Patrick Fields is also going to be an intriguing subplot in this game. Tanner McKee tells how Fields has helped prep for USC's potential defensive scheme. It's funny because some of the film that we watch is on OU and Pat's out there running the defense. And so <laughs> I go, oh, what are you seeing on this play or things like that? So I think it's definitely been helped. There's obviously going to be uh, things that are different. There's going to be different wrinkles. Um, and so we're not 100% everything that Pat says is exactly what they're going to do, but just give us an idea of kind of what they're looking for, their tendencies, what they like to do on got to have it situations like on third down and different things like that. That's Tanner McKee. So to the Stanford fans who were panicking this week over Austin Jones being with USC now and what info he can give their coaches, uh, don't worry so much because I think a lot of the stuff will balance, balance itself out with USC because I think Trojan fans might have to be just as worried with what info Patrick Fields can give to Stanford. It's going to be intriguing on both sides. Let's finish this thing up with number three. We are about to undergo the 101st meeting between Stanford and USC. And even though the series overall is decisively in favor of the Trojans, it's still a big deal. And it's been a great rivalry between the two preeminent private universities here on the West Coast. Dating back to the 60s, man, when it was it was John Ralston and John McKay squaring off against each other. What's a, What Titanic matchups those were in the late 60s and the early 70s, and certainly over the last 15 years, right? And, and I would think during that time, Stanford has become USC's biggest rival. And I would even venture to say that maybe USC has become Stanford's biggest rival. Bigger than Cal, because the stakes have been bigger generally when Stanford and USC have squared off over the last 15 years. And, you know, during that time frame, both Stanford and Cal have been in, in very opposite places in their respective parts of their journeys over the past decade and a half. But this is a big rivalry game. And Tanner McKee, Stanford's quarterback, a SoCal guy. He grew up in the heart of USC territory. I asked Tanner if given that, he's had a little extra spring in his step this week starting off against USC. Yeah, it's super fun. Uh, I mean, last year for me was surreal going into the Coliseum, kind of seeing all the different spots that I've sat at games, growing up an SC fan and everything like that. So it's obviously um, a lot of fun, a lot of emotions, a lot of juice playing, uh, playing the Trojans, just growing up, having Reggie Bush posters in my room and things like that. So um, very excited for, for this game and just being a Southern California guy. I feel like I know a lot of guys on the team um, and, and so really excited to play against them as well. So, yeah, it's, it's big stuff for Tanner McKee. It's also big stuff for David Shaw as well. Our alumni love the competition. Um, the year-to-year -year clashing of different styles, uh, I think, is, is plays well. Um, I think we've had a lot of exciting games, really, especially over the, the time that I've been here. Um, exciting games that have gone both ways. A lot of great players in those games. So um, my hope and wish is that this rivalry continues regardless of conference affiliation. I was reminded of what this week is really all about when I drove down to the Stanford campus on a Wednesday afternoon. Practice held back about an hour or so due to the heat we've had in the Bay Area. Good grief, Tuesday was particularly rotten around here. But as, as I walked up to the practice, I was reminded what week this was on the calendar when I noticed that the loudspeakers 
at Stanford football's practice, which I could hear as soon as I stepped out of my car, were, yes, playing those two songs over and over and over and over and over and over again. Those two songs that you know, they are boring and they are slow. Yep, it's USC week, folks. And how much longer is this robbery going to last? I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? I don't think anyone knows knows right now. But while it's here, live it up to the fullest. USC week. My favorite weeks of the year. Wait till Saturday. Those are three things. Coming up a bit later on in the show, special guest Sam Schwartzstein former Stanford offensive lineman, and Bryson Tremaine in a moment. Also, do you know how I can tell David Shaw is especially confident about things coming into this week? I'll, I'll, I'll tell you how I know in, in just a few moments or so. A quick injury update as uh, it was announced on Friday of last week, the day before the Colgate game, that Stanford starting right guard Branson Bragg uh, was going to be out and miss the Colgate game with an undisclosed injury. He did. Levi Rogers got the start in Branson's place, and uh, he was rotated in and out a lot with uh, Barrett Miller. So Miller and Rogers both rotated in and out um, of uh, Branson Bragg's starting right guard spot against Colgate. Now, when that announcement was initially made last week it was also indicated that Bragg would be questionable against USC nothing to report there I asked David Shaw what the latest was during his Tuesday uh, press conference and uh, he said no nothing to report if anything changes I'll let you guys know uh, before the end of the week so as of right now Branson Bragg uh, still appears to be questionable against USC but that's really about it Stanford's still pretty healthy which is something that you really haven't been able to say over the last three years now, but uh, certainly uh, Stanford uh, pretty healthy as we head into week two and this matchup against USC. Well, one guy whose injury certainly turned things around uh, for Stanford and not in the better way in the 2021 season was Bryson Tremaine. What a fantastic season he was having. Uh, The first few games of the season, the first four plus, and then he Took that pass over the middle against Oregon, got tackled, hit high and low, and then you saw how he landed, and you saw where where his lower leg was in relation to the rest of his body, and it just made you sick to your stomach. Broken leg for Bryson Tremaine, gone for the year, and thwarting what was shaping up to be a terrific season for him. Five touchdown grabs in the four-plus games that he played, and in fact, those five touchdown grabs stood as stood up, and he was the leading touchdown receiver for Stanford in the 2021 campaign. Well, spring ball comes around. Tremaine is not just running around, but he's actually working out with the team and participating in practice. I couldn't believe my eyes when I walked into the Stanford spring game in mid-April and saw him running around out there. He didn't play in the game, but it was just that was mind-blowing in itself. And Bryson Tremaine. Starting the season by starting the game. Wide receiver one at one of the positions, one of the wide receiver spots for the Colgate game. What an incredible run, especially considering where he was on October 2nd of last year. I caught up with Bryson Tremaine after Wednesday afternoon's practice and after they turned off the loudspeakers and the USC band. And the first thing that we talked about, obviously we talk about his road back from injury and, and some things to expect this week against USC, but 
the first thing I asked Bryson was for his reassessment of the Colgate game, some boxes that the offense checked off and some boxes that the offense still has to check going into the USC match. Yeah, definitely happy about the win against Colgate. We celebrate all wins, <laughs> but there's definitely a lot of stuff to clean up too. Um, some of the uh, the boxes I think we checked off was just getting a lot of like getting a lot of guys back who haven't played uh, like Mike, uh, John, me, Elijah, and just playing together and um, just getting that chemistry down in game. Um, so that that was big. And then EJ uh, showing his his run game on the first play of the game, like what was it, an 85 yard touchdown, something like that, 90 yard touchdown, yeah. 87 yard touchdown. Yep. So just just it coming together in a real game from camp and practice we did all summer and spring. What did it take overall? Because this wasn't the most cleanly played game for Stanford. Four turnovers overall, minus three in the turnover margin, but still able to find ways to get it done anyway. What did it take uh, to overcome uh, those mistakes and to end up winning the game rather convincingly? Yeah, I think it just took just resilience from from Tanner, from, you know, from we what we lost two punts. Um, and just guys not getting down on themselves and just coming back and just doing it. Receiver room, obviously one of the things to watch for the squad. Deep, talented, size, strength, speed all over the place. How would you describe what this receiving core can do when it's at its best? I think we, I think we have the best receiving core in the nation. We got me, Mike, Elijah, John, and I mean, we all got touches last game and I know you know, sometimes, you know, it's going to be one receiver goes for, you know, two touchdowns, 100 plus yards, and sometimes we get another one. So I think it's just us, uh, you know, celebrating each other when we go off in a game. And, you know, some, some games, multiple people are going to go off. So I think, I think we're just a really dangerous group and we can all do a bunch of different things. Um, so, yeah. In the foot race amongst the receivers, who wins? I think I'm winning. I think I'm taking that home. <laughs> I think I'm taking that home. I mean, Elijah hit, what, 21 and a half miles an hour on his yeah, touchdown Eli against Eli UCLA? Elijah's fast. Elijah's, <laughs> Elijah's fast. Mike's fast. You know, we're all... We're all speedy, but I think I'm taking that home in the foot race if we, if we uh, line it up. It's incredible just how much bigger, faster, and stronger receivers have gotten um, over the years. Uh, back, back to last week, and we'll get into your entire road back you know, here in a moment or so, but was there a moment in the run-up to last week's game, whether it was pre-game or maybe it was, it, was, it was even during the week, where you maybe just kind of looked around and just said, wow, I'm back? Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy actually. I was thinking about this the other day because obviously I have super big goals for this team this season and for myself. Like I never got injured last year, so sometimes I just have to take a step back and like realize like it's a blessing that I'm even back on the field playing. So I think that kind of hit me. It, it hit me. It hit me after the first catch in the Colgate game on the uh, the nine yard stop route. So I just took a step back after that. I was like, wow, like I'm back. Four catches, 54 yards, including a 30-yarder overall. And, and yes, I mean, obviously the, the chapter of the story is still going, but, but, but clearly, you know, it takes you back to that Oregon game last year. And just kind of take me back to the moment when you first knew that something wasn't quite right and the road from there to not just be back and running around but participating in spring practices, even though you didn't participate in the spring game, but yeah. the, the fact that you were even participating and warming up in, in spring practice was, was, was mind-boggling to me. Just take us through the road and what it took to, to get from that point of impact 
just to yeah. being back and contributing to the team on the field. Yeah, well, I think I think I knew something wasn't right, like pretty much right away uh, when I got hit in that Oregon game. And um, the recovery was definitely a long one, but I mean, for what it was and for what it looked like on the field, it, it didn't end up being that long, about five months, six, five and a half months until um, I was fully back and running and back on the field in spring practice. And I think that just, uh, I got I to give credit to the trainers, the coaching staff, the uh, strength coaches for, you know, putting all the time in to get me back to uh, where I was. And even further than that, like in the spring, I, I was running faster than I was the year before. I was jumping higher. So I just got to give credit to the coaches, um, the training staff, and, uh, you know, my family for always, and my teammates, too, for always having my back um, through the whole recovery process. Yeah, in, in a weird sort of way, I mean, the, the wide receiving core was never a complete 100% yeah. last year. But in a weird sort of way, did it kind of help to be able to lean on perhaps Mike Wilson, John Humphrey a little bit as well and say, hey, you know, we're all kind of going through this together. We can get through this together? 100%. I mean, Mike, Mike has been my roommate for uh, three years, three years, four years now. This is our fourth year. Um, so having a guy like Mike, uh, who was coming back for that whole season um, from his foot injury the year before, um, and just him, you know, just telling me, you know, you could do it, you can, you're gonna get back to where you were, and just look, watching him put in the work to get back from his injury, you know, motivated me, and seeing him come back even better than he was before motivated me to do the same thing. So yeah, it was definitely helpful to have some guys like Mike and John um, and the other John McGill too come back coming back from that. Let's get back to this year and what's on the table for for this week here for a moment or so as we wrap this up and let's start with Tanner McKee the quarterback the trigger man of this offense one of the better quarterbacks in the Pac-12. David Shaw says we're going to see the two best quarterbacks in the Pac-12 squaring off against each other this upcoming Saturday between Stanford and USC. What have you seen what have you noticed from Tanner so far this season? I think, you know, he's just going to he's going to give you a chance no matter no matter where you are in the field, if you if you get a little wide in on the field or if you you get a little too far inside, he's going to give you a chance with the ball. Um, so just I think that's the biggest difference from uh, some of the years before um, is just he's going to he's going to give you a shot to go up for it and he knows that we can make the play. So and you've proven that over and over and time and time again. And I, I'm just remembering now, I believe, what, your first three career catches all went for touchdowns, yeah. if I remember correctly. That, that's pretty cool. That's got to be a heck of a conversation starting in the receiver room now. Yes, sir. Yeah, that was yeah my sophomore year. It was pretty crazy. Just, I mean, they were they, all my catches, you know, ended up in the end zone. So it was only <laughs> I was only in on the red zone stuff pretty much for the passes. So that was the only option. Hey, you'll take it. You'll yeah, take, take it, it, though. Facing off against USC this week, a lot of hype, a lot of hoopla surrounding this team. You're an LA guy. You've grown. You grew up in in, in USC's backyard. What does this week mean to you? And what does this rivalry mean to you? I think this. I think we just have to take it. We can't fall into the hype around the team, you know, with the new coaching staff and all the new transfers. We just got to play our game, you know, fall back on our training that we've done the whole entire year and the plays that we know, like, the back of our hand. So it's not really rising rising up to that hype. It's just falling back on all the training we've done this whole entire year. USC's defensive backs, not a good size, uh, not a good size matchup. It seems against the Stanford wide receivers, you're getting a nice little grin on your face, you know. And you guys notice that, you know. How do you guys try to use that potential to your advantage on game? 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think this this uh, uh, DB group that we're going to be up against this week is definitely not um, not super what si- like a uh, big size, uh, but they're definitely more athletic than the uh, Colgate uh, team. So just prepare like any other week, and um, I think we can definitely use our size to our advantage. Keys to success for Stanford this week. What's it going to take for the Cardinal to to beat USC again? And for the 11th time in the last 17 meetings, I think people keep forgetting that Stanford has done quite well over USC over the past 15 years. But but what's it going to take for Stanford to be able to continue that streak uh, for another year? I think it's just going to be, you know, just leaning into that adversity that you face in every game, no matter what. And just it's we're not going to need to do anything, you know, you know, pulling out any magic out the bag or like super special. We just have to fall back on what we've been doing um, this whole spring and off-season training camp, and just fall back on our training that we're that we're comfortable with. Um, so, yeah, should be fun. Always is Stanford and USC. They had the loudspeakers cranked up to 11 with tribute to Troy and fight on when I was walking up here and I was trying not to go insane. I'm sure you guys might have been the same, but it's always fun whenever it's Stanford, USC. Bryson, thanks a bunch. Appreciate the time. Best of luck. Best of health. We'll talk again soon. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time. It's Bryson Tremaine. Appreciate him uh, spending some time with us. So uh, he says he'd win a foot race with the other wide receivers. I'd like to see that, actually. If we mentioned Elijah Higgins and, and, and his doings. I'm sure John Humphreys would love to be in. You, you know Mike Wilson. You know how competitive that dude is. <laughs> you know he'd want a piece of that action. <laughs> but, yeah, I would, I would be very intrigued to see who wins a foot race, and it would prob- probably be a jaw-dropping time as well, right? I mean, these, these guys are bigger. I mean, Bryson Tremaine's 6'4", 212 and doing some of the things that he has done on the football field. And according to him, according to David Shaw, and according to just about everyone inside the program, Bryson is faster and more explosive than he was last year, which is just mind-blowing. Because last year he was all that plus tax. This year, ooh, it's a scary thought if you're a defensive back trying to cover that dude. Oh, and by the way, you have to cover Elijah Higgins too. And John Humphrey. And Mike Wilson. And you might get matched up on Ben Urosic from time to time. Don't forget Medea Rubin, too. Stanford wide receiving crew is no joke. And Bryson Tremaine, Tremaine is uh, helping to lead that charge. Our thanks again to Bryson for stopping by and spending some time with us on the TreeCast. 2022 features a USC squad that's coming in here with a coming to Stanford with a lot of hype with a lot of hoopla surrounding it, with a relatively lofty ranking coming in, with some folks trying to you know, anoint some USC players as Heisman Trophy frontrunners, and some folks already trying to anoint USC as one of the national championship contenders as well. 2022 Stanford-USC seems to be shaping up to me a little bit like 2012 Stanford, USC. Ten years ago, the Trojans came up to the farm with a lofty number two ranking, with a presumed Heisman Trophy frontrunner and Matt Barkley heading into that day and that game. And with USC fans, and maybe even the football team itself, feeling pretty 
pretty good about where things stood. And hey, now that Stanford didn't have Andrew Luck to deal with anymore in the 2012 season, Josh Nunes, who? Stephon Taylor, who? The path was cleared for USC to reclaim its rightful spot on top of the Pac-12. So what happened? USC got thumped. Final score was 21 to 14. Stephon Taylor gashed USC time and time again for 153 yards on the ground. Josh Nunes made a couple big throws. Eventually, of course, he later gave way later that season to uh, Kevin Hogan as a starting quarterback, and, and that turned out pretty well. A season that ended up with Stanford winning a Rose Bowl. But Stanford went in there and thumped USC eight ways to Sunday. I enjoyed that. Did David Shaw enjoy it? I asked him to jump in the Wayback Machine and asked him for his thoughts on that game between Stanford and USC 10 years ago. I remember the week of practice, Stefan Taylor being just a different animal. And uh, whatever, whatever group of highly respected individuals that have ever been here, Stefan Taylor is in that group. Uh, his consistency, his work ethic, his you know all-time leading rusher. Uh, I mean, the only guy that to rush for uh, but three thousand yard seasons uh, back to back to back. Um, uh, but was always a consistent guy. That year in particular, in that game in particular, he became a big play running back. I think of one, one was a screen he took to the house. Another was a long run he took to the house. Um, his pass protection was outstanding. Um, so, uh, that's what I remember about, about that team and, and him in particular, that, uh, he was like, Hey, I'm going to show up. I'm going to play great. And I want you guys to play great with me. Um, and, uh, uh, that's what I, I remember about that time. Well, that was David Shaw's look back at the 2012 meeting between Stanford and USC. He said that Stefan Taylor was an absolute beast in the week leading up to that game. And certainly in that game itself in which Stefan rushed for 153 yards, and Stanford got the 21-14 win and sent the Trojans out of Stanford Stadium with their tails between their legs. Well, a big reason why Stefan was able to rack up all those yardage joins me as one of our special guests on this edition of the TreeCast. It's been a couple years. It's great to have him back in here. Started every game at Stanford for at, at center for Stanford in the 2011 and 2012 seasons, and has done some amazing things uh, since his playing career as well. Always a pleasure to welcome into the show the one and only Sam Schwartzstein. Sam, thanks as always. How you doing today? Great. Thanks so much. Excited to be back on the show talking Cardinal. Yeah, yeah. Always a good thing, and uh, always a good thing when Stanford is in the win column, as Stanford was able to do against Colgate last week, a 41-10 result that you look at the final score and you and you probably go, okay, that probably went about how it probably should have. Um, any grand takeaways for you for Stanford against Colgate? I mean, anything that, that you walk away from that game going, wow, that, that, was, that was certainly something I wasn't expecting or maybe I feel better about something that I might have felt coming in. Any big takeaways for you from that game from Stanford? Yeah, I think I have a few few main thoughts. Uh, an old cliche, you know, football has cliches at the you know wazoo, <laughs> but I love I love them. And uh, you know, we said that uh, more games are lost week one than won. Uh, we did some things to lose that game and still won pretty handily. Now the kids coming from Hamilton, New York, are a lot different than the kids coming from SoCal. We know that, um, but I think you know, with the fumbles, with the you know opponent territory fumbles, with the fumbles on uh, the punt return. We put ourselves in bad positions and still found a way to be dominant. I think that's a good big takeaway. Um, that stuff will get cleaned up. As Coach Shaw used to say, 
you make the most uh, improvement between week one and week two through during the season. So I think that um, USC also had a different, a, a sort of a tune-up game against a, a much more, more um, you know, physical opponent in Mike Bloomgren's Rice Owls. But I think that um, both both teams will see a different level of athlete, different level of player on the game when we see coming up USC this week. But um, I really liked that part of us overcoming adversity. Look, um, at the end of the day, fast guys are fast. EJ Smith going for 87 yards reminds me of my favorite player, Bryce Love. You know, that you know that is big plays is how we beat USC last year. We have EJ Smith to be able to go and do that. That was big. Um, and then looking at the wide receivers, you know, there's five guys that are going to play on Sunday on our team. Michael Wilson's one heck of a player. Um, you know, I had talked to a lot of scouts about him last year because um, they were very, very interested about Michael Wilson. Um, and then, you know, what, what is he really like? Because they hadn't seen him in so long. Um, and, and, you know, he was everything as advertised, right? I know that, you know, the Shrine Bowl really, really likes Michael Wilson and wants him to play in their game because he's one of those guys that is, is a game changer. And we saw that in different ways. He was used different ways before. And seeing him as a true wide receiver this week was awesome. Yeah, and uh, I saw you start start trying to start up the uh, Michael Wilson for Heisman <laughs> campaign during the course. I think the chatter that? had started. The chatter, the chatter had started. started. <laughs> was it in my section of the uh, stadium? Yes, I, but the, it, but that's not a lie. The chatter started. <laughs> Just throwing it out there. Just throwing it out there. That's all we can do. And there's certainly the picture to go along with that that, uh, right. hi, that highlight reel grub that he had um, in the second quarter. Um, a lot of eyes are going to be on the offensive line for Stanford this year. As you well know, the Stanford offense more often than not only goes as well as the offensive line goes. 2019, 2021, overall, overall didn't quite go so well for the Stanford offensive line. What did those guys need to show you up front throughout the course of this season? Replicate the big games. USC, Oregon last year, those were, you know, top 25 offensive lines in the country. Kayvon Thibodeau's a five, number five overall pick. There was great players on both sides of those defenses, and you saw what we were able to do, both in zone scheme and in the gap scheme, right? So being part, multiple in the ways we were able to attack a defense up front. The, the problem is the consistency. This O-line has not been healthy across the board for a long time. I think last year we saw more consistency. But when Drake Nugent shows up as the Drake Nugent that showed up in Oregon, that's a big-time offensive – big-time center, right? And that's a, that's a big-time player for us. And then Hinton and Rouse, those guys are – the, the level of talent they have is, is on par with anybody else. They just have to showcase it on a consistent basis. Um, it's going to be a tough matchup. But Rice did run for 4.2 yards per carry. They were at 6.2 yards per carry when they had the starting quarterback in. And so this is a team, USC, that they can get run on. Um, the game is going to go high scoring because it's going to feel like a Big 12 game because we have the Big 12 coach that we're going up against at Lincoln Riley. So, you know, they're going to get run on. They're not going to have seen what we can do, like our scheme in practice. So how do, how do our guys take advantage of that? The USC has 50 new players on their team this year, you know, so, you know, not, not a lot of them have played against Stanford football. Um, and, it, and it's different showing up when you come to the farm. So uh, I think that the offensive line has a shot. They just have to be consistent. And, and the you know, it's good and bad. We've seen what they can be. Mm-hmm. So they just have to do it every week. But, you know, the bad part is, is they, they don't always do it. Um, but I think that we have the right coach and the right players that get it done. 
Yeah, yeah, should be intriguing to watch. I thought Walter Rouse had a pretty uh, neat game and certainly some uh, big blocks along the way um, against Colgate uh, that uh, really helped things uh, for Stanford in the running department against the Raiders last week. We'll see what he and the rest of the offensive line can do this week. Can Stanford beat USC and make it 11 times in 17? You've beaten USC often. You beat them quite often throughout your career. In fact, you were part of that run in which Stanford beat USC four times in a row, and especially the 2011 and 2012 games. That 2011 game probably still ranks as the greatest game that Stanford football has ever played. When you look back at it, and even now to this day, what does USC week mean to you, and what does beating USC mean to you? Yeah, I think for the 2012 season, it mirrors this season very clearly because we went from San Jose State to USC, right? And that San Jose State team was pretty awesome. Those were um, some – that was a great defense. that had us figured out a little bit earlier on in that year. Um, and then we went into USC, and Matt Barkley, they were number two in the country. I think it was the first year off of um, um, suspensions for USC from uh, the old Reggie Bush days. And so it was a big, big, big uh, week for them. And them coming in, and could we do it without Andrew Luck and David DeCastro and – so many other guys on defense and we did right. And that was a big deal. And we were able to shock the world, you know, having Zach Ertz and Stefan Taylor. I think, you know, the Heisman chatter thing is a thing I like to do early. I think I was on video saying that Stefan should be in the Heisman running week two, you know, um, no one was watching. No one was listening to me on uh, go Stanford videos. So <laughs> I don't have a vote or else Stefan would have been getting votes early, but you know, I think the, um, it mirrors it pretty well. You have a really hyped team with a lot of great players. Matt Barkley was hyped to be the number one quarterback pick. Caleb Williams is making more money than most NFL quarterbacks nowadays. Um, or all every rookie quarterback is making less money than Caleb Williams. That's just a fact. Um, and so you have a really hyped player that's coming in here. Um, and, you know, there's some crazier things have happened. I think that, you know, the sports books are finding um, that, you know, I think we're a 10-point underdog right now according to the sports books, which is not as big as you'd expect, probably looking at the scores from the two games. Um, and those sports books are pretty close often. And we'll see how the line moves um, overall as we get closer to the game. I don't bet on games, but it's just one of those things from an analytics perspective, those guys have been consistent over time. And so to see it within 10 points is pretty awesome considering the hype behind USC. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no doubt about that. And uh, going back to that game, uh, 10 years ago, and, and, and you're spot on. The, the Matt Barkley for Heisman campaign was in, was in full force. USC fan was saying, oh, my God, we're back. And then the next thing you know, Barkley's getting sawed in half by Trent Murphy and David Perry, pro quite probably one of my favorite plays in, in, in Stanford football history. Uh, as you watched and played in that game, was there a moment along the way where you knew we got these guys exactly right where we want them? Uh, yeah, I think, um, there was a, a screen pass and, you know, I used to get made fun of by guys on the team, like Kevin Reiner, um, now the head offensive coordinator at Old Dominion coming off a big one, but I wasn't the best in space. Right. And we played, or we ran a screen pass and, uh, going into the, our, you know, the, the tunnel end zone. And I, I got, I got canard and I was like, wait, I'm actually sticking on this guy. Good for me. And I was dealing with a pretty bad high ankle sprain. I was in a, one of those funky casts that I was often wearing. Um, and, you know, all of a sudden I hear the band playing. I don't even realize that Stefan's running right past me, right? The screen, I don't think we, I'd gotten out on a screen effectively that entire week in practice. 
and all of a sudden, bam, 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 and it's like, okay, you know, we've got, we got to hang with these guys. And I think they had, you know, they had a guy named George Uko. No one knows who he is, but he played. This is inside football. He they played Hawaii the week before. Now Hawaii did a silent count on their um, on their snap count, which meant for the people listening that the center would kind of move his head and then snap the ball. Well, George Uko figured it out. And so on film, that guy looks like Reggie White. He was unbelievable. And so I think he, he, I don't know what the stats were, but he was in the backfield every single play and he had just figured it out. And so we thought we're playing Reggie White. So first time in Stanford history, we'd ever done a new protection scheme specifically for a defensive lineman. He was a three technique. And we, we're going into that game like, oh, my God, this guy is for real. Like, we played Brian Price, Gerald McCoy, uh, Tyson Alawalu, Cam Jordan. Never did we do a special blocking technique, but for George Uko, we did. And we go in. He's just a guy, you know. And he, he just – it was Hawaii. He figured out the snap count. So halfway through, I'm like, Coach, we do not need to just do everything for this guy. They have other crazy good players everywhere else. Like, let's get over it. But what was funny is we ran 95-week which is like just a generic play for us running to the weak side. And Stefan broke out and it's a long, like, like 40 yard touchdown run. But on film, you see Uko just like chasing him down uh, on film. It's like, okay, that was the athlete we saw, but like coming into our game, we don't do silent carry with all that stuff. But you know, that it was just, there's so many great memories from that game. Luke Kamuatule making a big block uh, could have been called a block in the back, but you know, Pac-12 refs got to love them and hate them at some point. So, uh, you know, and then, you know, we have Zach Ertz. So it was pretty easy to win games. I don't know how teams didn't figure it out that it was follow David Yankee, wherever he goes, the ball will go. It's going to Stefan or it's going to Zach. But, you know, sometimes college football gets to be easy when you have the defense we had. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about that. And, and you know, with, with that result, that night and with the defense doing what it did that was that was true tree fence mode uh, that those guys were in for pretty much the entire season but that result against usc how, how do you think that that it set the game how did that game set in in motion what we saw from the squad for the rest of the season yeah i definitely think it, it was a big confidence builder right because you go into practice knowing 12's not throwing the football anymore that's not a surprise right and i think it was the first time i'd been at stanford where we didn't know if we had the best player on the field. You know, when you walk onto the field with Toby Gerhardt for two years and then Andrew Luck for two years, you know you have the best player on the football field. That was a pretty simple thing going into the game. So you have confidence that there's no one that they can put on the other side that's going to be better than your guy. Well, this was the first year we didn't have that, right? And there could be an opportunity where someone was, but it was very clear those other years. But then you look at our defense and we now, but then we got to go in and see, okay, this defense shut down the number one overall pick or presumed at the time. We now know all we have to do on offense is let those guys make plays. And I think two games, they might have outscored us. Um, in that year, uh, Washington and Notre Dame, those two games, they, they, they had a pick six or a fumble recovery, and we only had two field goals on the other side or one field goal. So, you know, they, they, the, the defense was, was winning some games for us big time, and that, that gave us confidence knowing from that USC game, we do our jobs and we get our big time players like Zach Ertz, like Stefan Taylor, some opportunities that that defense will bail us out. So we went from we have the best player to we have the best defense. You mentioned that Notre Dame game and I had a flashback for a second. That was not a happy drive for me back from South Bend to Pittsburgh. But, you know, that's, a, that's a different conversation uh, for a different day of time. It was a wet drive too. Um, really cool. Some guy you might know, 
Andrew Luck going into the College Football Hall of Fame, and he's going to be recognized um, at this game along with the rest of the, along with the members of the uh, Stanford Athletics uh, Hall of Fame class that's going in, an all-female class, which is, which is absolutely uh, fantastic. Uh, but Andrew Luck in the College Football Hall of Fame. Your reaction, because that seems pretty cool. Yeah, um, I think, you know, Andrew would hate it if we talked about him, um, but this is what we're going to do. So I'll talk about it the way he probably wants to be talked about. Uh, I think he is so excited that he gets to be recognized on behalf of an era of Stanford football that might be forgotten by a lot of people. But at the in the BCS era, going to three straight BCS games, he, him being part of two of it, I guess four BCS games, but him being part of two of it, you know, getting Stanford to the first bowl game in a decade. Um, and, and I think Andrew loves being recognized by his, his buddies and that kind of he kind of reflects this is hey, this is that Stanford era football team getting in. And a large part of it was kind of the attitude he gets in. Um, for me personally, uh, I think I love college football. I love the college football I played in. Um, would it be nice to be making as much money as some of these guys make now? Sure. But I go, I got to go to Stanford, right? I know the value of my degree. I know what it is. I don't, I also know from my previous work in it, running the football league that there are some logistical things that you don't want to do when it comes to be like a part of an employee, all that stuff that's for a different podcast. But um, the, it was, you know, awesome time to play. And Andrew represented the best parts of it. He was an actual student. He got great grades in college. He cared about football and he, and he played because of his teammates, not because um, a real estate investment fund was giving him carried interest. Right. Um, I think that's a big deal is that that era of football, that era and Andrew, like for the best player in the country to be also the best guy and the best hard worker, I think for him to get recognized in the hall of fame um, that, uh, this early is pretty awesome. Um, and I think that's a, it's, it's a great stamp for what college football should be about. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Well said. Well said on all levels. Uh, as we wrap this up, uh, I think a lot of folks well aware of some of the things you've been up to uh, since the end of your playing career, especially you know with your efforts behind the XFL when it came back in the 2020 season, making the rules, a lot of innovation there, a lot of hard work uh, went into all of that. Just keep the folks up to speed on what else you've been up to these days. Yeah, so I'm helping out um, with Amazon Prime Video on Thursday Night Football. That's been my main focus for this upcoming year. Um, it's been a really awesome opportunity. So when I was at the XFL, um, I used analytics to make a lot of our, our decisions. So us in the Valley know that data-driven decision-making um, is how we do everything. But for you know, other places, it's not always the case, right? And so um, one of my big areas of uh, interest has been how do I utilize analytics to make fa uh, better football fans, right? How do I make the water cooler talk better? Or at least if you don't agree with something, be informed about why you might not agree with something, right? Why does a team go for two? After scoring down 14, well, there's a 51% chance to convert a two-point conversion. You know you have to score again. So why not go for two now to where you could possibly win the game later, right? And so all those different things that analytics take into account that you're now going to see more of as teams utilize analytics, that's my job in helping Thursday Night Football navigate that space. Um, and it's been great being on Prime Video, being the first ever streaming, um, direct streaming uh, of NFL games. Um, so it's been part of it's cool being part of a, a a startup within a larger company in Amazon and within the Prime team, and it's it's been really fun. Chiefs Chargers next week, right? Yeah. So our first game will not be tomorrow. Um, we start week two, and it will be Chargers at Chiefs. So right. um, from an analytics perspective, Brandon Staley um, goes for it even more so than analytics would suggest. So it's a uh, Big week for me to start. <laughs> <laughs> well, that should be a lot of fun. Congrats on that. Looking forward to seeing how, how things develop um, on that front. 
But in the more immediate term, looking forward to seeing how Stanford can keep things going against USC and perhaps deal deal them another ego wound, as Stanford seems to have done more often than not over the past few, uh, 15 years or so. One guy who has helped deliver many of those wounds himself, Sam Schwartzstein, talking Stanford football past, present, and a little bit of football future. Sam, thanks a bunch. Always appreciate the time. We'll talk again soon. Thanks so much. Have a great time. I had a great time. No, thank you. Likewise. Likewise. Sam Schwartzstein, our special guest on the TreeCast this week. Great thoughts. Great thoughts all the way around on uh, the offensive line and what it needs to show him for the rest um, of the season as it tries to reach the level that it had spent much of the 2010s playing at. And I really honestly couldn't have said what he said about Andrew Luck any better. I, I really couldn't have. That was that was superb stuff from Sam Schwartzstein in that respect. George Uko, <laughs> I didn't remember him at all from USC. It turns out Uko's a Super Bowl champion. Went in the NFL and ended up getting the ring with the Denver Broncos when they beat the Panthers down at Levi Stadium in Super Bowl 50. So, hey, congrats to George Uko for, for pulling off that feat. So good stuff all the way around with uh, with Sam Schwartzstein. And, uh, man, I, I've been thinking a lot about that play in, in which David Perry just submarines Matt Barkley in 2012, and then Trent Murphy just levels him up high. Matt Barkley literally got sawed in half in a near-death murder kill. Barkley was never the same after that play, by the way, either for USC or beyond in the NFL. I will maintain and I'll go, I, I, I will say this until the very end. Matt Barkley was never the same after that hit that he suffered at Stanford. USC was never the same. They still haven't quite reached those heights since then. Well, they were they won a Rose Bowl a few years ago, but but still. More thoughts on this year's USC Stanford matchup um, in a minute. But one thing I noticed during David Shaw's weekly presser on Tuesday, as as it was happening, I'm going to play you a couple of sound bites here. Uh, David Shaw was asked for his thoughts on USC quarterback. Caleb Williams, super talented, a lot of skills on the ground, through the air. No matter what you want him to do, he could do it and do it amongst the best in the game today. Shaw was asked for his thoughts on Caleb Williams. I'm going to play you the bulk of Shaw's answer. And while you're listening to it, pay close attention to what happens. The combination of his athleticism and his arm strength. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's rare that he can run away from you. He can run over you, but he can also stand in the pocket and make the big time NFL throws. Um, so for me, it's, it's that combination of his athletic ability and his decision-making. Um, you know, there's really not much that, that he's not, that he's unable to do. And, and I'll go one further to say, you know, I, I don't know that these aren't the top two quarterbacks in our conference going head to head this Saturday in Stanford Stadium. Um, I think uh, as as pure passers, they're both exceptional. I think as as a runner, Tanner's uh, un, under underappreciated, but at the same time, I think Caleb, Caleb is special there. Um, but you're talking about two guys that, you know, when you watch them play, you see two NFL quarterbacks. So I think it's going to be fun to watch. Uh, did you notice that? Did you hear the same thing I heard? Did you notice how Shaw turned a question about USC's quarterback into a chance to put Tanner McKee 
on the same pedestal as Caleb Williams? I found that interesting as I heard it in real time. And later in the presser, Shaw was asked for his takeaways from USC's 66-14, just throttling of Rice. Listen to what happens here during the course of his answer to that question. The takeaway is that they're a good football team. Um, They've got speed, they've got size, they've got athleticism. Um, That's that's pretty much it. But that wasn't a surprise. We kind of knew that before the season started. So um, I think the bottom line for us is that you know, we want to be as good as we can be as well. I think we've got size, we've got speed, we've got some athleticism as well. Um, so I'm looking forward to this being a good matchup. So once again, Shaw turns a question about USC into an answer about Stanford. And in both instances, he places Stanford on USC's level. This caught my attention right away in real time as it was happening. I was jotting down notes and I was like, oh, Oh, okay. Went back and listened to it just to make sure and just kind of confirmed it. David Shaw clearly thinks that Stanford is equally good, if not better, than USC is right now. Now, just how good is Stanford right now, really? I, I don't know that that answer is, is, is there quite yet. And honestly, I think the same can be said for USC right now, too. We really don't know how good or not. Maybe. We don't know. We don't, we don't know what USC is all about as of right now. But I do find it interesting that just like 10 years ago, a new and supposedly improved USC is coming to Stanford and, and being placed on a pedestal and, and presented as the, as the greatest thing that's ever happened to college football. And, and look, I've seen the Saturday Night Football promos, and they all involve USC. You can't get a Stanford shot in there at all. Only time that Stanford's even referenced is when they show the logos of the two teams participating at the very end of the spot. It, it, it's like college football is, is just ready to coronate USC once again. And you know USC, they're, they're ready to accept the crown. They're always ready for that. And who knows? They may be that team. If not this year, then very, very soon. They may be that good. We may, we may find that out this week. I don't know. But however good people think USC is right now, David Shaw is clearly trying to place Stanford on that level in people's minds. And he clearly thinks that Stanford is equally good, if not better. Now, look, I, I, I realize that, that, that Shaw has a tendency to talk up the guys that, that he thinks has earned it. You know, Tanner McKee, best quarterback in America, could be. You know, Ben Urosek could be the best tight end in America. You know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, but that still certainly caught my ear. That, just that juxtaposition there that Shaw was making in real time, that caught my ear in a big, big-time way. You know, beats the alternative, doesn't it? Shaw seems pretty confident about how his team matches up against USC. And I think there are reasons for that, legit ones too. One of those reasons coming up in a moment, but... As, as, as we dive into the keys to this game, one matchup I'll be fascinated to watch is David Shaw and Stanford's offensive brain trust against an old foe, Lincoln Riley coming to USC. That was one thing, but what really made me sit up in my seat and really take notice of that coaching transaction was when Riley brought his defensive coordinator with him from Norman. You might remember that guy, Alex 
Grinch. The former Washington State defensive coordinator for a good chunk of Mike Leach's tenure up there. He's only up there for three years. I thought he was up there as the defensive coordinator for longer, but it was it was only three years. But 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 Grinch's trademark, the speed defense. Not necessarily big guys or strong guys, but fast guys that just wreaked havoc and messed you up. And that defense was a real thorn in Stanford's side when Alex Grinch was calling the defensive signals. I mean, yeah, Stanford was able to solve it with some misdirection plays in that 2015 game up in Pullman. You might remember that one. It was the Halloween game, that wild one, where the Cougs kicker missed the game winner late and Stanford escaped with the win. But Grinch got, Grinch got some revenge the next two years before leaving for Ohio State, then Oklahoma, and now USC. I asked David Shaw what makes Grinch's schemes so tough to crack and, and if he's brought some of those same things he did in Pullman down to L.A. Some similarities to, to what he did at Washington State. And, of course, we watched a bunch of Oklahoma. Um, some of the principles are the same. The bottom line is um, his defense makes everything difficult. Right. They just want to make it hard for you to block guys, uh, hard for you um, by getting an extra defender in the run game, um, being in press coverage or roll coverage, late rotations during the course of the, the, the you know, right before the player, right as soon as the play starts. Um, just to, you know, I wouldn't say confuse the quarterback, but if you think it's one thing and it ends up being another. Um, so that's a lot of movement, um, a lot that you really have to. Um, have be pre-snap conscious, but then also post-snap conscious, uh, conscious um, from the quarterback position. So uh, the defense is really, really predicated on playing fast and making it tough on offenses to be efficient. That's David Shaw and Alex Grinch. And yeah, Grinch's defenses don't make it easy. They certainly don't. And last week against Rice, they knocked out the starting quarterback and they took back three pick sixes. Kind of a, a Rich Gannon in the Super Bowl-like afternoon uh, for the Rice Owls and Mike Bloomgren and that crew. This, however, facing a Stanford passing attack that promises to be a real handful for anyone and everyone, potentially, this promises to be a much stiffer test, though, for that defense than Rice was. What are some things to watch on the other side? When the USC offense is on the field facing up against a, against a Stanford defense that certainly has talent, especially in the secondary, Stanford safety Jonathan McGill explains. One thing he always does, though, regardless of who they're playing, is he wants to give their playmakers the ball in space. So as a defensive back, you know, understanding that, you know, their receivers are, you know, really good and, you know, their uh, offense in general is is really uh, dynamic and high powering and explosive. And so, you know, that's just something that we're preparing for, being able to, you know, play in open field, play, you know, in space and, you know, being able to guard and, and you know, uh, compete against uh, guys in open space. So um, Coach Riley does a great job of, you know, finding unique ways to get his players the ball. And so that's just something as a defense um, we're very looking forward to the challenge. And the translation there is that Stanford better tackle guys, right, whether one-on-one -on -one or as a team. If you're getting your guys out in space, you know, yes, you better bring your tackling shoes with you and, and make good, solid decisions. And if you can't, just make enough of an impact and wait for help to arrive. Overall, I like Stanford's secondary against USC's offense. I really do. I really do. But, you know, I, I think overall, this is a matchup of two very potent offenses. I don't know what the over-under is in this game. I don't pay attention to, to, to that kind of stuff. 
Um, you know, if you're, you know, I'm, I'm sure our, our friends at Bet Online are, are are very much in the in the know on that. I, I don't know what the over is on this game, but uh, I, I think this could very well be a shootout with a lot of points scored on both teams. And I think this could very well all depend on who brings its defense, who blocks and tackles better. I do think the Stanford secondary matches up quite well against USC's passing game. I mean, they did well last year. Granted, again, an entirely different personnel and scheme and all those sorts of things. But but the Stanford secondary this year is deeper and more experienced than it was last year when they faced USC. But I think while Stanford's secondary matches up quite well against USC in the passing game, the secondary needs help from the pass rush. That's a big question mark, man. Big question mark. And for USC, I think it's pretty much the same thing. I mean, look, USC's problem over the years hasn't been running and catching the ball, right? They've still been able to churn out offensive dudes and skill positions left and right. That hasn't been the problem. The problem's been blocking and tackling. They haven't done anywhere near what they need to do, especially on the defensive line. Did we see enough against Rice to think that's turned around? I don't think so. I don't think so. So in a shootout, a potential shootout, as I think this game is shaping up to be, I think whoever plays defense at the very end I think whoever finds a way to get to the quarterback and bring him down is going to have a better shot at winning this game. Those are some of my keys. You can certainly hit me up with yours. I always welcome your thoughts on anything that's on your mind. Hashtag TreeCast on Twitter. Hashtag TreeCast is the best way to send those thoughts to me. I always appreciate them. And if you haven't subscribed to the show, I, again, welcome them. Uh, welcome that as well. Subscribe to the show, rate it, review it, react to it on your favorite message board. Whether you agree with things that are said on this show or not, you know, it's all about it's all about spreading the word on this show because the TreeCast, as I'm sure many of you know, owns the Stanford Athletic space like nobody else does. We're proud of that. We want to keep that going. So subscribe to the show. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, iHeart. Subscribe to the show via your favorite listening app, and we will always be there for you. Next update, or next episode, rather, will come your way either late Sunday or on Monday. I have got Pac-12 Network field hockey duty on uh, Sunday. Big test for the Cardinal. Uh, as they face uh, North Carolina, the two, the number two ranked Tar Heels in town. That should be intriguing. But I've got Pac-12 Network field hockey duty on Sunday afternoon. We'll get to the podcast after that. And of course, we will have a complete wrap-up with post-game sound and thoughts and analysis, as only the TreeCast can do whenever it wraps up a Stanford football game. So we'll come at you after Stanford is done. And again, that will either be on Sunday or Monday. Special thanks to our guests, Bryson Tremaine, Stanford wide receiver, and former Cardinal offensive lineman Sam Schwartzstein, working with Amazon now. That's pretty cool. That's a pretty neat gig. Sam's good people. Good dude. Our, our, our thanks to those two for joining us on the show. And, of course, our biggest thanks goes out to you for checking out the program, no matter where you are. Stay safe. 
Stay healthy, stay sane, stay cool. I'll be glad when this heat wave is over, man. And don't drink and drive if you do. You're the dumbest person on the planet. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for being with us here on the TreeCast with Troy Clarity on the Believe Network.